It's flat out RC time. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name is Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Well, big show ahead. We have uh, one of Australia's greatest uh, scale modelers joining us. Anthony Ogle has represented Australia a couple of times, I think now. Um, at the Scale World Champs, hailing from New South Wales. So we'll be having a good chat with Anthony a little bit later. But before we get to Anthony, make sure that you press subscribe to subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast and the YouTube channel and Instagram and Flat Out and the uh, Facebook, of course. Don't forget to subscribe so you are staying informed as to what's going on in the Flat Out RC world. Now, let's get into it. Let's see what's been on my mind. It's lockdown time again for many parts of Australia at the moment. Well, at least as I record this, Melbourne's in lockdown, New South Wales is in lockdown, Sydney's in lockdown. Uh, and uh, look, we're fortunate that the the weather in Melbourne hasn't been great for flying, so I'm not missing out much on the weekend uh, with due to the weather. But what this whole lockdown thing sort of brings home to roost is really how much I'm missing going to flying events, that there's so much uncertainty around whether events can be held and not be held that uh, it's just frustrating. It's just simply frustrating that we're hoping that events like the Shepherd and Mammoth Scale event in September happen, but you never know. It must be a nightmare for organisers to decide whether to, to run the event. We've got, you know, the, the IMAC National Championships that have been coming up. Uh, you know, jet events are being cancelled. And it's just so hard to predict when there's so much uncertainty around. But what do I love about events? Well, I like seeing different planes that I don't normally see at my own flying field. I like seeing people from other clubs that you know I may only see at flying events because they might come from you know another part of the world. Uh, it's just having that camaraderie of like-minded people in a different environment because most of us are going to a different environment when we go to these events and just enjoying the company. I always say that if you really want to have a good day's flying, then stay at your local club. Uh, you probably get more flying in than at a flying event because you'll be doing lots of lots of chatting. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those situations at the moment where we don't know what is going on at all. Uh, too much uncertainty in the world. So how am I keeping myself occupied? Well, this weekend I have uh, put together an E-Flight Draco foamy model that just came in. Um, a friend of mine was going to get it, but... Uh, he ended up sort of reneging on the deal, so too late. The order was already put in, and so I decided I'll keep it. And I love Stoll Aircraft. Um, yet to fly it, and, and of course, I would have been out there today if uh, if if we were allowed to, but pretty impressive aircraft, really. Now, the, if you don't know what the, the E-Flight Draco is, well, Draco is a Wilger, a Wilger, Wilger, Wilger. I'm not sure what the connects correct pronunciation is but it's based on a model that mike patey the renowned aircraft builder modifier designer uh in the us who i'm a big fan of mike patey 
he built this wheelchair, which is a turbine. It is short take of a landing capable, basically a, a monster bush plane. And Horizon Hobby, E-Flight brand, ended up basically doing, I think, a laser scan of it and created a foam model out of it. And it is phenomenal. It really is. It's really, really good value for money for a foam model. Now, I don't know about you you guys and girls, but sometimes when it comes to foam models, I don't like to overcapitalize on a foam model. You know, if it's starting to get over $1,000 for a foam model, I'm thinking, nah. But the Draco is, for what you get, is a really nice aircraft. Uh, one of the one of the features I love is the the sprung suspension that all the wheels, including tail, tail, will have these uh these mock shocks on them, these Kings shock absorbers, and they actually work. They do actually work. Didn't take me too long to put together. Uh, it has a reverse, an engine reversing feature, which I don't think I was able to get going on my radio um, for some reason. I uh, don't know whether my radio needs an update, my Spectrum radio or not, or it just can't do it. But uh, there might be a way. I, I, I researched on, online to see if I couldn't find it. Not, not, it's a bit of a gimmick, really, for me. Um, but I'm really looking forward to getting the plane out. Two-metre wingspan, weighs about four and a half kilos, runs a 6S, 5,000 milliamp hour battery pack, which I've got a few of, which is good. Uh, so it should get good flight time out of it. And it's just going to be one of those little stole planes, lots of short takeoffs and landings with it, uh, lots of touch and goes. Uh, so looking forward to getting that. The other thing I noticed this week is the increase in price of some of our hobby gear, that it's really surprising to see the increase in expenses. I think there's this flow and effects from COVID, uh, increased shipping costs, increased cost of materials, of raw materials, you know, bolster and things like that that's now seeing this rise in the cost of you know, hobby parts, um, especially model kits. You know, If you want to buy a good good kit from you know, Pilot RC or Extreme Flight, 100cc, we're getting up over the $2,000 mark uh, or high, high you know, 1900s or something like that to over 2000 And that, to me, is, gee, we're starting to get up there with models that used to be like $1,400, $1,500 not too long ago. So it looks like we're going through a period of time where costs will be going up and i'm seeing that across the board with its motorbikes and cars and computers and things like that prices aren't coming down at the moment hopefully once we get this covid thing under control things might stabilize a bit more but it's just so hard to tell so anyway don't want to sound like a downer today but that's what's been on my mind in the past week <laughs> guest time my favorite part of the podcast and what i try to do here on the flat out rc podcast is mix up the guests so that we're, we're hearing from multiple different people in different categories of the hobby uh you know we have gliding we've had jets aerobatics often a feature uh but this week we're back to scale and when i i, I go to scale i like to talk to people that you know have got a bit of a history in it and, and a, a really big focus and this week's guest is a guy by the name of Anthony Ogle, hailing from New South Wales. Uh, Anthony's been on the scene for a long time uh, in that scale scene. Uh, like You'll hear how long, but it's a long time. And he is a very accomplished scale builder and, and flyer and a nice guy to boot. So he's you know, been to world champs, you, know, you name it. He's almost done it really when it comes to scale modelling. Uh, and he is a well-known name amongst that scale competition fraternity. So really enjoyed my chat. Um, didn't know Anthony before we had a chat, 
but got to know him as you will in this little chat with a good guy, a scale modeler, Anthony Ogle. This week we are back talking scale and I've got one of Australia's best, or one of Australia's guns in Anthony Ogle. Anthony, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Great. Now, I don't know a lot about you, Anthony, and that's what I love about this podcast is I get to to hear people's stories and get to know them a bit better and so does everybody else who's listening. So tell me a bit about yourself. Um, right. So um, I currently live up in the, the Hunter Valley, so just inland of Newcastle. Um, for for work, I currently work for Luskentire Aircraft Restoration where I'm uh, very fortunate to restore vintage aircraft for a job, um, being, being 1930s, 1940s aircraft. Well, they're they're pretty renowned, aren't they? That that company for for restoring models. Not yes, uh, yeah, full size. Yes, yeah. there's um there's not too many companies in Australia that do what we do, uh, and I'm I'm very fortunate to be part of it. What are some of the planes you're currently working on? Uh, currently working on it's actually a bit not quite as exciting, but I'm 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 currently restoring a Super Cub. Are you? Planes. Cool. Yes. <laughs> well, we aero modelers have seen a couple too, haven't we? But um, yeah, there's just a couple around. So, and how long have you been doing that? Uh, almost seven years now. Um, that's in the restoration work, but uh, an aircraft mechanic by trade. So I've been in the aircraft industry for for over twenty years now. Gee, so you uh, you're coming to you're coming from uh, to, to aviation from every angle possible. You don't fly full size planes as well, do you? No, no, no. I prefer to build them. <laughs> <laughs> and fly, and keep your feet on the ground too, flying the models. Yeah. Now, how did you get into flying model planes? Well, I really, I just, I blame my dad. Uh, yeah. I, my dad's been flying model aircraft for, for 50 odd years and uh, I don't think I had a choice, to be honest. Um, so I, I started flying when I was three. What did you? Three years of age. Yeah. Gee, and this is pre. This will be pre simulators and all that kind of stuff. Yep. There was uh, nothing. There wasn't even a buddy box back then. Uh, it was pretty much had my dad leaning over, holding the transmitter in front of me, and uh, had he had his thumbs on on top of my thumbs, and then that's pretty much how I learned to fly. Three years of age. I think you win the the, the prize for the youngest guest, or the, the young the guest that started at the youngest age. You know, I heard of people that were sort of born into an era modeling family, but they were sort of probably five years of age. But three is just crazy. What what kind of plane were you flying then? Uh, I learned to fly on a buzzard bombshell. It was a two channel at the time, and I had a an Enya sixty four stroke. Um, for an engine, which I still have today, and it's uh, in a current project. Oh, really? Two channels. Yeah. So that means you what? You had the engine just ran until it ran out of petrol, and you landed it, kind of thing. Yep, that was exactly what happened. So you uh, you learned to find the runway pretty quickly because you didn't didn't have a throttle, you couldn't go around. Um, and let me tell you, I was a few times I ended up in thorn bushes and dams and cane fields and whatnot. So, <laughs> but Lucky I had dad. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that's um like today we take things for granted. I think a lot of us as they got into the hobby sort of a bit later and had great gear to work with and four channel and all that kind of stuff as a minimum. But really when you think about 
like as soon as you say two channel, I go G. That workload's <laughs> a lot. You know, there's a lot more to consider when you're flying a two channel, uh, two channel model. Yes and no. Like two channels, you've only got two channels to think of. Um, you know, it, it was a lot simpler back then. But but two channels, you know, this is going back what 30, 37 years ago now when I started. Um, two channels was was sort of a normal. You know, four channel was, you know, four and six channel were 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 big channel aircraft. Yeah, um, it's true. It's so it, you know it's it just shows what what time has done in that instance. We're we're sort of a similar vintage. I'm a little bit older than you, but yeah, if if you really look back at you know what I've experienced in my lifetime and the different gear, you know, I still got a Sanwa two two channel AM radio that's in pristine condition. Which I will never ever use again in my entire life, but uh, but yeah, the the, the, the models have uh, have come a long way. And and so you have you did you manage to stay in the hobby all the way through from the age of three onwards? Or I have breaks? I have. It's uh, people always say when 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 kids hit their teenagers, you know, you you introduced to cars and girls and 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 friends and going out with your friends and. But I was uh, fortunate enough. I, I stuck through it the whole time, and um, I, you know, again, I think my dad played a big part in that. Uh, in in saying, you know, we would go to competitions together, and and we would build airplanes together, and um, I still had my cars and girls and teenage years, but but uh, I was very fortunate enough to stick through, stick with it. I think it's almost like having that that you know. That other person in your family that can that enjoys the hobby that can keep you motivated as well is an advantage. I think you know what we see nowadays with a lot of the um, you know younger people that are coming to the hobby. It's a very very common sight to see. You know, dad had the interest and he's passed it on to me. But I still think though that you you must have been pretty keen on the plane thing. Just because dad said it's a good thing to do didn't mean that you were necessarily going to do it. So you obviously had a a great passion for it. Oh yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, my dad's also an aircraft technician by trade, and he he worked for Qantas for fifty years. So I, I think aircraft is it's just in the blood. Yeah, to be honest, you had no choice. <laughs> but it's, it's it's funny. I look back on my family because my brother's a pilot now, flies for Virgin, and, and and of course I was always very interested in in planes. You know, I, I've got a letter. I said to my mum when I was young, I, I wanted to become a pilot, and. Uh, and she sent a letter off to Qantas with you know, as if I was writing to them asking them how to get in how to become a pilot and how to fly for Qantas. And and they, they sent a it was typed out in a typewriter. It wasn't a computer era. <laughs> and I think it was about nineteen seventy-nine or nineteen eighty that I got this letter and I still got it somewhere. And uh, it was them telling me about what you needed to do, which is quite interesting because my brother is a pilot, as I said, and he he wouldn't have met the criteria that Qantas wanted back then, but uh, <laughs> I think as as air travel became more popular, they had to relax, you know, some of the requirements. Was, my my brother wasn't a mathematician, I can tell you that, and they wanted maths and <laughs> physics and and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, the interesting part of it, all this is that my family doesn't have a history in aviation, but two out of the three boys became really interested in 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 aviation and aircraft. One one more than the other, full size, but. Uh, my brother did fly models for a while as well. Still, still can, but uh, too busy to. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't run in my family, to be honest either. Um, I think my dad pretty much just one day want, decided he wanted to start flying model airplanes, and and that's where it stemmed from. He 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 didn't have a background of aviation besides his his full time work, but um, 
yeah, in my, I don't really, none of the rest of my family are interested in aeroplanes, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just me. I always say you've got to be wired a certain way, that we aero modelers are tinkerers, we're inquisitive, we, we love attaining knowledge. We don't, we're, we're patient enough to go through the process of building or building or even assembling a model plane, learning how to do that, learning how to fly. It's not something that you just pick off the shelf and uh, go. I think I look, I compare it to radio control cars that anybody can go and buy a radio control car, you know, nowadays with ready to run stuff. And, you know, 20 minutes later after your battery's charged, everyone's almost, uh, you know, a bit of a pro at driving an RC car, but not with the model plane. So, you know, that, it's funny. I've got two other brothers. One will fly model airplanes. The other one would be the last thing he ever did because he couldn't. He didn't have that patience and commitment to to follow something through that was was that involved. So, but I, I'm amazed that you managed to keep going for so many years. And so, obviously, your dad was there as well. You learned on this two channel. Let's fast forward a whole heap, right? That. When yep. did this whole idea? You know, you, you, well, you're known as a scale modeler. You know, you've you've represented Australia at world championship level. Uh, your name always comes up. You know, every time I ask people about, you know, suggestions, and they say Anthony Ogle, and I said, well, he's on my list actually. And uh, when did that whole scale building thing come into into your aero modelling? I I built. Um, now this is a scratch build. I built my first scale aircraft when I was nine years old. Nine. So I started building when I was nine. Um, it was the second aircraft I I built. I I built a sports model called a Pronto prior to that. Again, with with Dad's help, um, I then built a a Miles Magister, and I first competed at the World War Two event down in Wagga. Oh yeah. Uh, this wasn't this wasn't with the Magister. This was just with a, a, another another scale model that my dad had of a, a Spitfire of Royal Paraplanes. Um, I was 11, so that was 1992 uh, at the World War II event at, World, at Wagga. Um, but then the first scratch built, the Magistrate built, I, we drove to uh, Bundaberg for the Nationals in 1993, and that was basically my first big competition. That's a long time so, ago, really, when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's where it started. I, that was sort of the, the when I started competing when I was probably ten or eleven years old. And have, have you continued that all the way through to now, the competing yes. side? Yep. So yeah, every year um, we had the, the oh, back then the, the Flying Scale Association, uh, and and now the New South Wales Scale Aircraft Society, which run competitions throughout the year, and that's just been going on. Um, again, it was nationals every year. Um, the World War Two event at Wagga was one we never missed, um, and just and just local comps basically, and that's just continued f from then on. What do you like about competition? Because you, you've been doing it for such a long time, so it must be something that you love about it. Uh, discipline. Um, I love. You know, I don't fly the same type of airplane. Um, I range from World War Two to World War One to golden era racing. Um, each airplane has its own different characteristics as, as we all know, every, every model flies different. Um, but it's trying to get that aircraft to represent the full size airplane. Um, so it's not just pointing and shooting holes in the sky, you're actually trying to present the airplane, which to me is a, 
in its own way a discipline in itself because you know anyone can just go full throttle and you know bank and yank and and still have fun but you know me is just presenting that airplane the way it should be presented is what this is one thing i love about it well it's it's interesting you say that because i think that anybody that really is an avid competitor in different events has that similar mindset it's not just about punching holes in the sky as you said uh you know i i've talked a lot about this idea of having you know when i fly there's an expectation that i have on myself on how i want that that plane to look in the sky so even though you know yeah. i'm not competing in anything i'm competing against myself to make that plane look as it should and and i suppose i you know from afar I love to see scale models flown the way that they should be flown, whether it be a Piper Cub, a Cessna, a Warbird or whatever. You want it to see, you know, flown the way that it was designed to be flown. Even with even with jets, one of, one of my complaints with people that fly jets is it's just pin the throttle and, and do some high-speed runs. And it's after a while, it's like, okay, I'm sure your jet <laughs> does it a bit more than that. You know, that they don't always just, do a low pass at full throttle kind of thing. They do some other stuff as well, like show me some other yeah. stuff. You know, if yeah, I could, I've got a, a, a Viper jet and, and you know, it's a sport jet. I can fly it aerobatic, aerobatically, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fly aerobatics with it. It's not about a high-speed run with a Viper jet kind of thing. But um, so, no, it's good to hear. And it's interesting that you've you, – you mentioned that you sort of can swap categories because often there's someone who's like a Warbird fan and that's all they're ever going to build. Is that, again, just to challenge yourself to keep on – you know, it is. Do, it do is, uh, and a lot of people can do. You know, if they stick to one thing and that, and they do it very well, um, but you give them something out of the out of the ordinary to to their ordinary. Um, it's not that they can't fly it, but you can tell it's not the airplane they usually fly. Um, I've I've been up with scale modelers that that have basically one particular airplane, and and they'll fly that airplane perfectly. Um, being World War One or something, but then you give them a warbird, and again, yes, they can fly around the sky, but they can't do it justice. Um, so I, I've always liked to, you know, challenge myself in different aircraft and different different things, and it comes down to different size models, different engine combos. You know, sometimes you've got a a plane that you can't just go full throttle and get out of trouble. You know, it, it takes more than that, um, and I guess that's. It's a, just another range of things that I love about it. It's, you know, just the variety is. Hmm. It's, it, I've never asked this question before, and it just it just dawned on me. When it comes to the scale competition and knowing what manoeuvres to fly, mm-hmm. is there a syllabus that prescribes what you must fly for different types of models, or do you have to come up with your own sort of sequence? Um. So it comes down to a couple of things, um, like our competition up here, uh, or even the FAI rules state in in a competition round, the aircraft must do a figure of eight and a descending 360 out of a total of 10 manoeuvres. Um, so every aircraft has to do those two. You can do them anywhere in the schedule, uh, but you have to do those two particular manoeuvres. Then it comes down to whether the aircraft was the full-size aircraft was aerobatic or non-aerobatic. Um, and again, there's a, a, a range of manoeuvres in the FAI rules saying for aerobatic aircraft, you can do these manoeuvres and non-aerobatic aircraft can do these manoeuvres. 
So then that stems down to what airplane you have. Um, and you you really, if you know, letter of the law says you, you, you really can't do non-aerobatic manoeuvres with an aerobatic aeroplane and vice versa. Um, so it, again, it comes down to personal preference then too. If you want to do aerobatic manoeuvres in a schedule, you build an aerobatic aeroplane. Um, and, and also sometimes when you, if you, if I'm judging an aeroplane, if I see someone come up with an Edge 540, I expect them to be doing um, different different aerobatic maneuvers to a, a, a warbird for such, even though they're both aerobatic aeroplanes. They don't have to, but that's what I, me personally, I would like. To, I like seeing. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, you wouldn't expect the Spitfire to to be as aerobatic as some of these you know, modern day aerobatic planes. So that makes, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. It's not going to do a Lomshevac or something, is it? You no, know? no, no, that makes, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And I, I suppose it's one of those things that, um, you know, I like seeing it in competition is, is really, we're talking about precision. You know, often we talk about precision aerobatics and, you know, F3A and IMAC and things mm-hmm. like that. But when you when it all boils down to it, when you look at a scale competition in the flying component, it is about precisely flying the manoeuvres, isn't it? Yep. So everything is done on a centre line. Um, so even, you know, a simple roll, um, you've got to be inverted on the centre line. Mm. Um, so again, it, that comes back to what I said before about discipline. You know, you can just do, anyone can do a loop and a roll, but to put that particular aeroplane in that particular spot to do that particular manoeuvre mm. takes takes a lot of, a big challenge and, and a lot of discipline to do it. Yeah. So... Well, it's interesting. I'm fortunate the club that I'm a member of, I get to see Noel Finlay and David Law flying their scale models. And, yep. you know, I, I love Noel Finlay's plane and, and seeing that. And um, it, what is it, a CT4 or something, is it? Yeah, Noel Whitehead CT4. Noel Whitehead, yeah. Um, yeah, Noel Whitehead, not Finlay. Finlay, well, Noel's a good, he's a good scale model as well. But uh, Noel yes. Whitehead, yeah, the CT4. And, and, I look at that model and I, I'd be too scared to go and practice with it. It's because it's so nice to, to look at. And same with David's like pits. Uh, yes. Do you do you have concerns going and flying, you know, the models that you've slaved over and perfected to as best as you can? Do you have an issue with going out there and practicing your flights with them? Um, yes and no. Um, so you do get nervous, especially if, you know, we're coming up to a world champs. You, you don't want to break your model only weeks out before – but you've also, you remember, you built these models to fly. Um, you know, we just don't build scale models to sit there and look pretty. You know, you, you build them to fly them. And, and you know, unless, unless you want to build a couple of the same airplane and, and, and again, even if you do build a couple of the same, they still have the different characteristics yeah, between airplanes. Yeah, they're the same, aren't they? Um, so it's kind of a, you've got to practice with it and, and you can't think about damaging it. Or I mean, it's always in the back of your mind. I think it's in the back of your mind, no matter what plane you fly, whether it's a scratch build, ARF, foamy. Um, you don't you don't want to break it at the end of the day, but it's 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 no good to you if it just sits there and collects dust. Yeah, that's right. But still, for me, I just think I'd be too nervous if I spent that much <laughs> time. You know, it's it just the thought of it makes me nervous. Now, let, let's talk about some of the planes that you've built because, as you said, you, you've been through different categories of models. You know, in all those years of, of building building models, what are some of your, your favourites, some of your most notable models? Um, most notable in in the building, probably my most notable would be my, my Air Cobra. Um, I'm 
quite known for my P39. Uh, it was a, I've had a few over the years and I've built a few, um, mainly, mainly from top flight kits. Um, but that's probably the most notable around. And I've, I've, I've built Brian Taylor Spitfire. Um, oh wow, it's going back some time now. Uh, top flight zeros. Oh, Miles Magister. It, it took a bit in in the in the mid years. I think um, in my teens, um, as you, you know, we were talking about earlier, saying whether I, I I dropped off. I dropped off on the building side of things and enjoyed flying more. Um, it's probably only in the past, um, probably past ten to fifteen years, I've started building again slowly and um, more progressive now, but. Um, it sort of went a bit on the wayside, but it's uh, it's back full swing now. I can tell you that. So, what have you currently? Uh, what, what what are the current uh, models that you're competing with? Um, well, not competing much at the moment due to world pandemic, but um, <laughs> uh, I, at the moment I'm in the ARF. Oh, sorry, the flying only category. I've got a robot Thunderbolt that I've tear holes in the sky with. <laughs> it's just a ball of fun. Um, for the competition side, I've got my Newport 28 that I've, I've taken to the World Champs with. Yeah, I've seen photos of that at the uh, the World Champs. How many World Champs have you taken that to? Uh, two now. Two World Champs. Is it, uh, uh, Romania. And and have you only been to two World Champs in total or more than that? Yes. Yeah, only, only two World Champs in total. Well, I think that uh, anybody going to a scale World Championship championship event deserves a medal coming from australia not only the logistics of getting your models over there but the expense of getting everything over there it just i don't know you guys just deserve a medal from someone i don't know who I, but I, I think i've always said you've got to be a nutter to do it i think yeah well <laughs> as i said to uh, uh guest last week marcus stent I said that I, I like the idea of going to the world chance for discus launch gliding because the gliders are pretty small <laughs> and light and they're easier yeah. to to get there kind of thing. But um, I said that that's what that's suited to me. But anybody that's taking like the scale models and that kind of thing, yeah. uh, so being a biplane as well, taking it over there, how, how are you actually yep. how much of it are you pulling apart to to to, to just be able to ship it? Uh, to give you an idea, um, and I, I probably take the longest. Out of out of the whole team to put my aircraft together, it took me eight hours to put my airplane together. Oh, so um, because with the with the Newport, there's um, it's complete rigging, working rigging in the in the wings uh, with turnbuckles. Um, there's no wing tubes to, to support the wings, so oh. it's all completely by the wires. Um, you know, engine comes out, and the carriage comes off, tail comes off, wings come down to each individual panel. Um, so it's it's a big feat. It is really is a big feat, and <laughs> it just sounds like hard. So it, it is, and and this is you know this is where it stems down to choice of airplanes too. <laughs> just get into discus launch gliding; it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You're more than the next step. <laughs> no, it just amazes me because I think you you build them up, then you got to pull them down, then you got to build them up again at the other end. Uh, yeah. How many days before for a world champs you sort of arriving so you can get your models together? Uh, we generally on. arrive about three days, three to four days, because um, it's also you know whether we can get to our models or when our models arrive on site. 
Um, it's a logistical nightmare, and, and we're very fortunate. Um, we, when I first went to um, Romania, uh, we had Neil Atticat help us out um, in getting all our boxes there. And, and again, um, when we went to Switzerland, uh, Dave Law and Neil Atticat also helped out getting our boxes there as one. And just what they do behind the scenes to get get those planes there is, um, I, I couldn't even tell you what, what's in it because we were very fortunate enough as just so basically said, have your box here and and they'll be at the other end. Yeah, it's it's a, a logistical nightmare. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> but I'll tell you what the uh, like I've spoken to Greg Lepp and David Law and saw the photos from from the last World Champs that you're at it's in Switzerland, and I'm thinking, oh, I still have the photos from that event etched in my brain, and thinking that is just a dream of a location to go and fly in. As uh, it would be awesome it's, just to go and photograph models in that environment. It's going to be hard to top. I think no matter where wherever you compete, that that one particular airfield um, is going to be hard to hard to beat. <laughs> it was just so picturesque. Do you think that'll be your uh, favourite venue of all time to uh, fly at? So far, <laughs> you know, I, I hope I hope in in time to come there'll be more. Um, and you know, whether they're in Switzerland again, uh, the next ones were scheduled to be in Norway. Um, you know that can be just as just as beautiful up there. Um, I think the the 2024 or something is scheduled to be in the UK. Um, so you just don't know, but it, it's going to be hard to top that one. I can tell you that. I think anyone that's been there or seen it would 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 agree. Yeah, oh, it's just it's phenomenal. Do you think you'll keep on striving for world championship uh, events, or do you think at some point in time you might take a break from it? Oh, I'm currently going to take a break from it now. Um, as you said earlier, it, it's a big cost to get to the world champs, and and I've you know I've got two young kids and only had our second a couple of months ago, so that takes a big toll um, in 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 monetary value and in monetary wise, I should say. And as much as I'd like to be there, I'm a you know a dog with a bone. I'd I'd like to conquer something. I'd like to conquer the world champs. Um, and it'll bug me in, internally if I don't or don't even try again. It's it's one of those ones I want to achieve and strive to achieve, and I hope one day I will get there, well, and I think I can get there. You've still got time. You know, you'll have plenty of time. Yeah, there's still time for you to, to to crack it. You know, you have a look at how, how many David Law's been to and the commitment he's oh. had over such a long period of time you know as well yeah you got to give give credit when credit's due and and not just dave law and, and Noel whitehead as well and, and Noel finlay um no finlay's done four or five you know couldn't tell you how many Noel whitehead's done uh, i think he's in double figures now uh, and dave law's getting very close to that as well and it takes a commitment it really is a commitment to do it and and those guys have been there all the time and every every two years they go and you I think you, unless you've done it, you'll only understand what they go through and what it takes to get there. I think in a way, because of the effort that's made, you appreciate the experience so much more, you know, because it's part of, you know, I always say to my kids that we, we're constantly just creating history and we're creating stories that sometimes a smooth plan is, is not very memorable. Sometimes you want, you know, if you, if you put in that effort, 
it's the effort that is memorable as well. How much work we have to do to get there and all that kind of thing. That you know, I haven't, I've never, you know, travelled with with a model internationally. I've been overseas in China and judged uh, aerobatic events and things like that. Uh, and even that has just been a highlight for me in the past ten years having that yeah. opportunity. And I think any any time you get to travel internationally for your hobby, it is a special it's a special thing. And like I had Dennis Traverseros on, who who who's represented Australia multiple times now with F three A, and he got emotional talking about yeah. that pride of of waving that Australian flag, you know, and representing your country in a model aeroplane event. And and I'm like, man, I get that. That is just to me is just. It's such a bit. When I become, I'm going to become a DLG guru because you know, so, <laughs> and that's that's my opportunity. There's there's not, the other thing is with DLG. Don't tell the DLG community this because they're probably not listening. But there aren't that many people in Australia that compete in DLG, and so you just need to get like top three of about eight or nine people. And so I reckon the odds are in my favour if I put. You're it going in by effort. numbers. Yeah, You're going I like, by numbers. I like your style, but yeah, I'm going like to turn it. up. No plans of winning anything. I just want to make it on the team and carry that. That model, you know, actually, I got but way back when when I had a flat out RC magazine, a, a company in in um, I think they're in Lithuania, sent me a DLG, and they um, did like to do a review on. Well, I asked them, and they sent me one for free, which was nice of them. Yeah. And, but they they had already they'd built models for the Australian team before, and so they did it up in the Australian colours. But I got a big kangaroo on, oh, the, wow. on the wings. Yeah, so I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, so <laughs> DLG people, F3K, I'm there. Um, I'm you, terrible at it. Like I could probably get a launch of about 30 meters when the good guys are getting about 70. But um, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll organize the restaurant so everybody can have fun. That'll be my job. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it is. Look, you're coming into a busy period of time. We were just talking off air before we we got on that uh, we had to we postponed the uh, recording by about 15 minutes to let you to put the kids to bed and. And I gave you the good news because my kids are a bit older than yours. That uh, <laughs> that that uh, that the mayhem of trying to get your kids to go to bed lasts for quite some time. So good luck with all that. And, uh, mm, you know, right. you know, you'll be back. You know, you'll be back on the on the international scene. I'm one of those believers, and we see it a lot in a lot of different hobbies. You know, I've been involved with car racing before, and a lot of um, you know, especially guys, dads who have kids have a break in that sort of middle age years uh and then they come back and i've always thought that oh, i reckon i could juggle it all a bit you know we have to be sensible and not just neglect our family and our responsibilities but i still think at some level we can keep our hand in things as long as we're sort of you know in, in, do things in moderation so you now for example i've got a motto that i don't fly during the week because that's when i go to work even though i work for myself even if i'm quiet yeah. I need to be still working to try to find more work and that kind of stuff, you know, cleaning my desk. Um, but yeah. there'll come a time when I'm retired where it'll be like, good day, going out flying again, see ya. Going flying. Nobody's going to care because what else am I going to do? My wife will be saying to me, it's good, get out of my hair, you're annoying me. So I'll just go and annoy <laughs> the people at the flying club. So it's, it's going to be perfect. So it's a, it's a good good plan I've got. I think I think what you said though is moderation is the the big key and 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 as much as I'll, I'll never stop doing it, um, it may slow down. Um, you know, obviously competition in the last eighteen months has slowed down for everyone in that matter. But you know, I, I think if you can still share time with your family and and your hobby, um, and then as you said later in life when the kids grow up and you get to um, 
to uh, continue and get back into a full swing. And I think it's just like riding a bike. Yeah, it is. To be honest. It's, it's interesting. Oh, I, personally, I get really, really concerned uh, about people that their sole thing in life is flying model airplanes, that they're out at the field whenever they can be. Their whole life just revolves around it. And I think that I've seen too many scenarios of people that do that and it all ends in disaster. I've seen marriage breakups and and you name it. And often uh, I downloaded, actually, I've got this photo. I saw this photo on Instagram, which actually summarizes this point, which we're getting very philosophical. Oh, my phone's sort of kind of working. Uh, where is it? Oh, I, I got it the other day and I, and I screenshotted it. It said, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. So, what I took by that is I required that to some people that I know who fly model airplanes and think you're just lost your way in life and you're compensating by buying more model airplanes and going and flying model airplanes. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer that you, go, you know, it is a hobby. It's not our, you know, our life. It's our interest and it's supposed to be fun. But I think, you know, I've seen too many people if they, if they're really putting aero modeling on a pedestal in their life, they end up taking things too seriously. And they they lose the fun aspect, and you know somebody looks at them funny, and they start getting agitated, kind of thing, and they start picking on the judges. Why did they judge me like this? And blah blah blah, etc. So, moderation is the key. Yeah, there's a I, I find in in the hobby, as you said, there's a whole big balance, and and people can take it too seriously, and uh, I think sometimes seriousness in this day and age is is people wanting to spend amounts of money on their aircraft and, and it puts a dollar sign on an airplane. And I think like it, I always question some friends of mine, I always say, you know, at what point does it stop being fun? Um, you know, it, you can, you can take a 60 size trainer out and just have as much fun as flying a, a calf Thunderbolt or a calf Corsair or something like that. Except, you know, the, the 60 size trainer, you're only in for a couple of hundred dollars. And if you crash it, you just go, oh, well, I, I can go build or buy another one, whichever way you preferred. Um, but you you crash a calf Thunderbolt or, a, a, you know, a, a, a jet, big jet these days, you know, you're 20, 30 grand into the, into the hobby on one airplane. So I always say, you know, at what point does it stop being fun? Um, you know, I, I've, I've got some large airplanes and, and some serious airplanes. I've also got some fun airplanes and, and I'll still go out on a weekend and have fun with a foamy, you know, just because it's pure fun. And and I can go and I can and I can disappear just for I go down the flying field for only an hour, hour and a half, put a couple of batches through, and then come home. And I've had my fun. I don't need to always have that that serious side in the hobby, even though I I can and do take it very seriously. Um, but it's having that. I know, as you said, it's just the fun part. You've got to keep remembering that it's a hobby and not a not a chore. Mm. Oh, it was. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, you know, I've often said, you know, when is when is too many too many when it comes to buying model airplanes, and and I always say that if I go and fly my hundred cc aerobatic plane versus my FMS foamy cub. Is flying that 100cc a 50% more fun than the Cub? Not really. <laughs> it's it's still flying a model airplane. Uh, you know, when I flew my yep. jet, someone said to me, is that the best thing you've ever flown? Your best experience of the plane? I said, 
no, nah, not really. I really like flying my aerobatic planes because they're really maneuverable, where a jet isn't as maneuverable as that. And I was a bit nervous and tense, but you know that's not as fun. But but really, it's another model airplane. As I said, it's like I couldn't say that it's twenty percent better or ten ten percent worse. It's just another model airplane, and and sometimes it's it's nice to go and fly those cheap models because you're so relaxed. You're not worried about. Yeah, you know, if something if something happens, like like I love helicopters, RC helis, and I flew them for a little little bit, but I found that I was just always so tense. And yeah, and I, I'm not, I know I don't have an issue with flying them, but uh, but I felt that if I want something relaxing, I'm probably going to fly a glider because then I can have a chat and you know, like a slope soar, a slope soaring with 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 friends is just a it's a social outing more than a flying outing as far it's, as I'm It's just pure fun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It is pure fun. And I, I found uh. I, well, we had a, a little mini lockdown down here in Victoria and uh, I found that I was craving a day out at the field. That it is amazing how much that means to me to go and have a day out at the field. Even if it's, I'm not flying a lot, but just being there, that my mood changes. It, it settles me down from, say, a busy week or, you know, I've had issues at work or whatever, that nothing like going to the flying field and having a good day at the field. Uh, you know, enjoying the hobby is just, I'm really, really valuing that at this point in time in my life is that ability to just have that little break by myself. Even the drive yeah. to the field and the drive back, you know, I'm by myself is about a 45 minute drive each way. I put some podcasts on, not mine, because I, I don't need to listen to my voice. I hear it enough. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, oh, uh, yeah, it's just that whole experience of just getting to the flying field is something that I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying. Do I want to build another model at this point in time? No, I do have a model. You know, if we get locked down again, I've got a model that uh, I am going to put together. But uh, but yeah, everything in moderation. I think if I did it all the time, I'd just get I'd be burnt out and I'd get bored of it and I'd probably give up. On oh, see, else. I'm a bit the opposite on that one. You know, at, at this current point, I, I I can't wait till I finish a project because I've got so many more to start oh. and that I want to start. Um, that's, it's a it's a polar opposite in that one. Yeah, see, but that's that's the trait of a scale modeler though. That you 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 True. you love the building side of it, and then you enjoy the flying side as well. I yeah, I've just got like two two left hands when it comes to building. Well, you know what it is. I think I can do it. I just lack the confidence to do it. And every time I, I challenge myself, I rise to the occasion. I can do it, but. I, I'm saving the building time for when I retire because, you know, like I've always talked about having a super chipmunk. I've been very, very close to pushing the button on a uh, laser cut kit of a super chipmunk yep. and buying all the components just to have on the shelf so that when that time comes, I've got everything because I'm paranoid that they won't be available down the track. Yeah. And yep. so I'm thinking, do I just investment buy now? And no doubt everything's going to become <laughs> more expensive in 20 years time or something. But I like that idea of just having everything ready to go and I'm just going to go and sit down and really spend that time to build something. When, when, do you, when are you building? When do you, where do you find the time to build? Is it after hours or during the weekday or a weekend or, or what? Um, any chance I get, to be honest. Um, I, I, some days uh, on a weekend, if, if it's raining outside and the kids are inside, and you know, I, I can actually spend a whole day in the garage. It doesn't happen as often these days. Um, but... One one thing my dad taught me, you know, if if you do one thing a day, whether it be cut a piece of timber or super glue two bits of timber together, or just do one thing a day, the model will get finished. Doesn't matter how much you can spend an hour in there and do a lot, but if you just do at least one thing a day, you will finish it. 
uh, and, and so I sort of take any advantage or any time I can, even if it's just half an hour in there to sand something down or, or cut something up or, or then some days I'll spend six hours in there. Um, again, you go back to it's a whole life balance. If, you know, if you've got something on, well, I don't go on the garage. It's, uh, unless I'm, I'm pushing, you know, a couple of years ago when we were pushing to a world champ, so I spent a lot of time in the garage and I was lucky I had an understanding wife at the time and you know but uh it it's a, it's a balance it really is a balance well, one of the things i'm amazed at is that that motivation that you've got to keep on going because it's not a quick thing to go and build a scale model you know you have to be dedicated no. and some of it's hard and tedious you know i always say when we build these models and you buy an arf you do the big stuff, you know, you put the servos in the wings and put the stabs on and blah, blah, blah. And that all comes together relatively quick. Now putting the landing gear on, you put the landing gear on the fuselage, you go, oh, it's almost done. And then yeah. you go putting all your electrics in and your fuel tank and plumbing up. It starts to get tedious the further you get on. And when you're yeah. building a scale model, especially from, from a kit or a scratch build, there's a lot more work involved. How yeah, have you just got this in, internal inner drive to to keep on working through the project, or you know, are there any techniques that you employ to keep you motivated, or is it like what your dad oh, said, just doing something every day? Just doing something every day. I think it's an internal drive. There's no technique as such. Well, I don't have one. If there is one, um, if there is, please let me know. <laughs> but uh, I just have a. I don't know. I I have such a broad range of aircraft that I love and love to build and want to own and fly. I guess that I, I just try and get them as simple as it sounds. I just try and get them done. Um, but there's also you know, a, a, a lot of a range of ways you can do it. Like you, you can build a, a scale model for a world champ, say, and that's a whole totally different ball game to just building a scale model that represents a scale airplane. Um, you know, you can there's you know we talk about you know going to the next level, and you know. The, the current airplane I'm building at the moment, which is a, a Springfield Bulldog 1930s racer, um, by any means, it's just a scale model that I wanted to build. And sometimes that rejuvenates my passion in scale modeling because, you know, you, as you can go to an nth degree of building a world chance model or you can build just a scale model and, and not have to think about, oh, is the, is the outline accurate? Is, um, is the rib stitching perfect or is... Um, you know, these panel lines in the right spot or is the nose too long or all the things that you look for in a SCAR model, I'm just building it to look like that aeroplane, you know, for what we used to call sport scale. And, and that and that's keeping my passion because it's just purely I'm building it straight off the plan, not, not trying to change anything and I'm not worried about how it looks. Well, I am worried about how it looks, but you know what I mean? I'm not worried about the scale fidelity side of it. Um, and and that to me at that moment this is that's what's keeping me really motivated because I'm I'm building just for the pure fact that I want to build and not building it for something uh, like a, a scale event. Do you have multiple uh, planes on the build? You know, on the on the go at one time, or are you strictly build one model, finish it, then move on to the next? I try not to. I try to have one on the on the thing, but that. Uh, you know, I always get too excited about the next model and it's usually out of the box, uh, you know, ready, ready to start getting built or I'm sitting at home doing research on the airplane and trying to find out 
certain things about it and um you know and then you know when you get it out of the box you get all excited and you do some work and the, the one you've been building on sort of goes on the wayside so you know i'm i'm trying at the moment not to do that um and i'm finding it very difficult <laughs> yeah. now let's do a bit of a deep dive so i want to whilst you know i've got a guru in my midst i want to talk a bit about some of the phases of the build and, and getting your understanding of how you operate and the first thing i want to look at is how do you select what model to build? Because there's so many different models there that we could build. You know, I've been through, uh, you know, the websites, you know, Laser Cut Kits Australia and having a look at all the different kits that they've got and it'd be so hard to choose one. How do you go about selecting what model to build? Uh, again, so I'm, I look at it a bit differently if I'm looking for an airplane for a world chance. Um, it's not always building the airplane you want to build. Um, there's a fine line between building to the rules and building by passion of what you want. Um, but if you, if you're, as an avid modeler that just wants to build a scale airplane, you sort of find out what you like in yourself. With do you like warbirds? Do you like um, civilian airplanes? Do you like multi-engine airplanes? Do you like jets? Um, and that's it's you've, if you want to build a scale model just for having a scale model, build something you want to build because that'll keep you interested in building it. If you're building an airplane you don't particularly like or don't want to build, you lose the interest very quickly on, on what you're doing. And and it can sit there for years and years and, and not go any further. So that's that's where I where I kick what airplanes. And if it's for a world champ, you know, you sorta of gotta pick to the rules more and it's very hard and that's where again discipline comes into it because you've You've got to still build that airplane whether you're enjoying building it or not. But if it's going to do the best for you at the competition, then that's what you've got to achieve yep. and aim for. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> After you've decided what model you sort of want to to build, uh, how, how do you go about researching model? We're, we're lucky we've got the internet, but have you got some avenues that you, you start with to, to start that research and then work down? Uh, I've got a library at home. When I say a library, I've got a bookcase full of books. Um, once you sort of, uh, if for again, if I refer to say a world champs, you know, we we choose. I'd have a couple of models selected, different types of models. Uh, um, when you're looking to build a a, a scar model at that level, um, detail is of uh, detail available is what you're really after. Um, you know. Building World War One, which I happened to do for my first, you know, first World Champs, uh, research is very hard because obviously back in those days, you know, cameras weren't what we had today, and and bookkeeping isn't what we have today, and um, research is, is very hard, hard to find, and hard to find detail and, and images on the particular airplane that you want to do, and it could be a range, and I'll, I'll refer to my Newport that I've got. Um, there's books on Newports, and that's fine, but but finding the particular one you're going to model is very hard. Um, so if you if you your know, internet's your friend these days, and if you're going to choose a model that you're going to do a scale, find one that that's that's either flying today or or there's a lot of info you can find on on the internet. Hmm. Well, I've got the stories of David Law crawling through tail of a pits to to measure things and check things out yep. how things were built. So. 
And yeah, he well, he's got a new uh, build on the go, a laser, I think. And again, laser, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's looking phenomenal already. And uh, that's a, a local plane that he can go and visit and have a look at and take photographs and, and understand, which is sort of. And that's and and you can't ask for anything more in that situation. You know that that's the perfect scenario because you've got the airplane there that you can go put a tape measure on. Um, you know the, the other side when you're doing a scale model, if you're going to compete with it, is you know every every three view drawing. If you can't crawl over it like the fortunate side Dave can, um, you know you 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 go off a three view and every, each three view you can get from different drawings or different interpretation of drawings can be can be slightly different and then again they they can be different to the particular full size one that you're building and so the, you know, the best way is to find a set of three views and stick to those three views um, whether they're right or wrong uh, if you build your model to those three views well there that's what the judges are going to judge it to so because oh, yeah, that, that was my next question really because I thought how can the judges judge if there's multiple different sort of slight variations to different ones but if you've got to show them the, the three view that's what they're judging against yes and and full-size photos always take precedence over a drawing a three view drawing so if you've got um, something that's blatantly obviously different on the full size compared to the drawings you can, if you can photograph that and point that out to the judges, then they, then they take the photo over the the three view drawing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realise that. I'm learning a lot. This is good. <laughs> the now, so you've decided to build that model. Are you working from scale down plans of a full size, or are you buying buying a kit generally? Uh, the one I'm currently building is the, the Bulldog. That was just a, it was actually a laser cut kit, a short kit of an enlarged RCM&E plan. Um, yeah, again, I, I, I love the Bulldog. I love Golden Era aircraft. So, um, it was just an airplane that I purchased and, and just building for the fun of it. <laughs> but, um, I've got a uh, a Bearcat, a Zeroli Bearcat on the build, which is my next World Champs airplane, um, and that's basically from plans, building that from plans. Okay, so you to scratch it, scratch. Build yeah. It. Now, when it comes to to doing those builds, uh, what part of the model do you generally start building first? Because I know some people like doing wings first, some people like doing fuselages first. Well, what's your first step that you do? I think I generally do wings, to be honest. I, I don't know why. I don't have an answer to why I do. Uh, I just generally start with the wings. And and some airplanes I have started with the fuselage. And again, there's no, I, I don't have a particular reason why I do. But I, yeah, wings is where I generally start. I think it might give a, um, a, a show you the size that it's actually going to be in the end. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, I suppose, like, <laughs> I had a go at scratch building a a, a stick. Yeah, that'd be a good 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 uh, model to to sort of cut my teeth on. And but a scaled down version because a guy in a club that I was a member, I was building these beautiful one meter wingspan sticks, electric sticks, and yeah, he was doing a great job. And I thought oh, I'm going to get with like, I can scale that down because he didn't have plans. I don't know where where he got it. And I found some some stick drawings online, and then I scaled them all up and I printed them out on A4 sheets of paper and. I uh, 
start to cut everything out and the wing and all that kind of stuff and uh, put the wing together. And I actually had, I got the other, I had a one meter wingspan stick that this guy had built. And when my wing fitted perfectly on top of his fuselage, I was <laughs> over the moon. I'm like, I've done something right now. Of course, I haven't finished that model, but uh, that will be finished at some point in time because it's all still here. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Uh, so, okay, wings, yeah. Well, I'm sort of similar. When, with, when I build put, put models together, I generally start with the wings and uh, getting them out of the way first. Uh, so you know, we've got something in common there. Now, running gear. So we always, you know, especially with scale models, we, we really love the exterior of the model, but we know that in, inside it, we have to have, you know, good, reliable running gear. Yep. Uh, no doubt you're, you're doing some planning as far as what servos to use, what motors to run, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, you know, we can get a lot of that kind of information, especially with motor size and stuff like that. But yep. um, what's your approach to selecting running gear? Uh, most of the time, I, I fly, you know, JR radio. Um, with, you know, again, that's personal preference, and, and I don't have a, an issue with the people run JR, JD, Futaba. It's it's what I've grown up with, and it's what I use, and I don't have an issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I tend to stick with, um, you know, if it's a good scale model, you know, I, I'll, 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 I'll sort of go for the, the good high-tech servos rather than buying cheap nasty stuff. Um, I sort of I look at it, I don't I look at it a bit different I think for some people and I don't run power boxes or or buses or anything anything like that because in a scale model we're not putting great loads on the flying surfaces not not like a, a an, an aerobatic airplane doing 3D or something like that. Um, the main ones I look at is is redundancy as as most of us do, um, you know, with dual batteries and 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 sometimes dual receivers, um, which I'll, I'll stick to to JR basically now. Um, it, it's just what I know. It's what I've used, and 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 unless nothing unless something changes dramatic, dramatic dramatically, um, I don't see it changing. To be honest. Yeah. The um, I think that um. I'm a bit like you. I was thinking about this over the past few weeks, you know, having discussions about radio gear. Oh, we shouldn't yep. be using that because, you know, I know somebody who their plane went off the air when they were flying with that gear and so on and so forth. And I'm like, really? I could name every brand and have, tell you a horror story, really. But, you know, yep. I, I go to the flying field and, you know, 30 different people will fly 30 different models with, you know, maybe five different brands and they're, all working and yeah you know, i fly spectrum and one of the reasons why yep. I, I stick with spectrum is like you just said i know it i know their receivers and i know how to set them up i just know it and for me to go and ditch that and jump ship to, to another brand means in monetary investment a lot of yep. time setting everything up again and i just don't want to do that just don't do no that. no and then unless something dramatically changes and I was uh, I was I just bought a, a, a new 28x JR radio, switching over to you know the DMSS, and it was about two months later is when JR folded, and I was just going you know I've just spent a lot of money on this transmitter and and I'm just thinking now what am I going to do and and I was in my head I'm going do I do I change do I go to Futaba or do I go to Jetty because we didn't know the 
what was happening with JR at the time and um, I was fortunate enough I just I had enough in in stock in my in my cupboards to, to keep me going and and you know it was fortunate enough that D Force took it over and, and JR are back in back in running so again. Got Richo up, up there in Queensland yeah. supporting all the JR yep. and and he's done a good job really when you think about it. There's a lot more people back flying JR as well, especially in that IMAX scene he really supported that. But uh yeah it, it, good yep. quality gear JR stuff. I've got uh some JR servos in one of my hundred CCs actually, but yep. um, yeah, that makes it makes it makes a lot of sense there. Now scale detail always fascinates me. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, Noel Whitehead and his uh, CT4 and the detail when you yeah. in the cockpit of that. It just the amount of time that is is spending there is just is, is amazing. How do you approach the scale detail thing? Uh, <laughs> it, it's a it's a, it's a hard one, you know. You say a scale model is is ninety percent done and but ninety percent to go, uh, and that's and that's purely because of the detail. And, and it's up to you as a scale modeler how far you want to go with the detail. Um, you know, if you want to go to that nth degree and put every gauge and and every control stick and every switch in that cockpit, if you've got the discipline and time and patience to do it, knock yourself out. Um, again, it depends what you want to do with the airplane. Um, sometimes, sometimes just doing a uh, putting your rib tape over 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 a rib can be enough, and it, it sort of it breaks the surface because what you you know you don't want a, a if you've got a scale airplane you want to put something that breaks the surface. It's in my opinion, obviously. Mm. Um, yeah, it's what I call doodads. Uh, yeah, my technical, technical term, term. Do, yeah. technical term, doodads. Um, you know, it, if it takes it away from being a standard airplane, then you've achieved what you're trying to do. Um, you know, it, it's like having a um, an ARF cub, you know, in yellow solid, you know, solid film, shiny, and then you've got a same size cub, but it's been covered, painted, and then they've put rib stitching into it and rib tapes over it and it takes away that shiny smooth plastic finish where it then puts detail into it um you know it putting detail on a scale model it's it's it never ends um you know i think i think um peter goff also said you know you never finish a scale model you just stop working on it <laughs> That's true, and he'd know some of the detail he's putting in some of his planes. Oh, unbelievable! Crazy. The um, yeah, I agree. I you know, there's a friend of mine that's got a, a, a hangar full of nice planes, and you know, he's got a hangar nine decathlon, 100 cc, which plenty of people bought. It, it was a great looking yep. model. It was you know they, yep. they sort of got it right, but the thing that I love about his is the detail that he put into the cockpit area and the attention that yep. he paid in that cockpit area with 3D printed parts. The his, his wife was doing upholstery, like, you know, sewing things to put inside and whatever. And when you look at that, it's just not an ordinary plane. He, he's done that with um, some cubs as well, that it's just yep. that detail. And then the latest one that he's got is he, he, he picked up this uh, Tiger Moth secondhand and it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful model. It, well, I think it was a scratch build. And, yeah. you know, it's got the proper tank, you know, the, 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 the metal tank on the top wing there, it has that. It's like a yep. thing that, which feeds into another tank. But you look at that, it's not shiny. It's got a bit of grunge around, a bit dirty-ish kind of thing, but it yep. is beautiful to look at. 
you know, if it was glossy, you'd go, oh, it really doesn't look different airplane. No, yeah, it doesn't look, you know, it's good. It doesn't need to be like the undercarriage, a little bit scratched up kind of thing. And you've gone, yep, it's a vintage aircraft. It looks, that's what it's supposed to look like, you know. Yep, I don't want everything, everything doesn't need to be spick and span all the time. So, no, it's, no. it's interesting with you, you refer to Piper Cubs. Oh, you go to yep. flying events and you'll see 10 different cubs. It's like, give me something different. Like, not, I haven't got anything against cubs. I think they're a great flying model, all right? But I always say that I'll either get going to be impressed by a really massive cub, like a really big Hempel, you know, 50% or something yep. like that. That's just going to blow yep. your mind because of the size. Or give me a cub that's got some detail in it, their smaller size or something like that. I'll uh, I'll appreciate anything in between is like a, it's just another cub, really. And it's amazing how quickly you would pick out a cub that has been scratch built over an ARF too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 as I said, if it's something that changes, just changes its appearance, well, it stands out. And and that's what you're trying to achieve, I think, with the, with the scale model. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's never ending. Now, just speaking about time, you know, where is most of the building time spent? You know, that... Is it in the actual airframe wing or is it scale detail? But where do you spend most of your, your building time? I think finishing a model is, is most of the time. Um, uh, I, I can put together an airplane you know, reasonably quickly, uh, you know, framing one up. Um, I think finishing because, you know, you're trying to get different textures and, and different finishes and... Um, different surfaces, you know, you, whether you're doing a, a raised panel or a flush panel or flush rivets or raised rivets or, you know, access hatches. And, and that's where all the, the time goes in a scale model is when you're doing that, I think. You know, and then painting alone itself is, is another challenge. Oh, I'd be so nervous. I, again, I, I'm, as I said earlier, I don't, I don't trust my skills in building and i when you think about painting a model i'll, I'll stuff it up there was something that i'll i'll, I'll gotta give it a go though don't i it's just... i think you're allowed to though that's I, I i i teach a lot of guys and guys that want to start building and i go you know what and, and another thing my, my dad always said to me um and, and it stuck with me through my scar modeling he says you know it doesn't matter how good or bad your your model is as long as you make the next one better you know, it, it just learn from your mistakes and, and, and gradually the next one, you know, put a bit more detail in or try a different paint or try doing a camouflage or, you know, try doing a cockpit or just doing an instrument panel. Just make it that bit better than the last one and, and you'll get better. It'll get better. You know, you, you, I see too many people trying to put it all their effort into their first model and, and trying to make it the perfect aeroplane. And, uh, you know, it won't be. I can tell you now it, it won't be. But... But use that and, and use that as a building platform to, to make the next one better. Well, I I joked about this on a previous podcast so that um, you know that first model that you build when you're a kid, and yep. it's just a dog's breakfast. It's just yep. glues everywhere and that kind of thing. But you need to get one of those out of the way. Uh, you know, yeah. that, that's why I started scratch building a stick. It's like okay, I'll learn about <laughs> cutting ribs on a plane that really is insignificant as a stick. I'll learn, you know how to do some of this stuff and, and the process of, of scratch building and doing the research, cutting the parts, you know, working out what gear to run, making sure everything fits, measurements, etc. You've got to, you've got to just sink your teeth into it really. You know, in some ways, you know, I've built plenty of IRFs over the years and, um, you know, I could probably do them with my eyes closed, but 
I think sometimes I take for granted what I've learned even through that process. You know, like a mate of mine put put me onto this idea of mixing a, a 50-50 mix of um, 24-hour epoxy and, and methylated spirits to then paint the firewalls and stuff like that to sort of fuel-proof them a bit and strengthen them a bit and make sure everything's yep. okay. Now, I didn't know that until he told me. And now... You know, oh, I've got this aerobatic plane that I'm going to put smoke on. And I'm paranoid about you know the smoke affecting the, the the airframe, and so I went through all the canister tunnel and everything. Paint, I probably put about a yeah. two kilos of epoxy into the plane, but but I tell you <laughs> what, nothing's getting through to the wood because it's it's got this nice and it's a beautiful sheen. It gives it life and quality. And again, I wouldn't have known that unless someone told me about it. And then I actually tried it myself. That you know, little things like that that uh, we continually keep on learning, but. Uh, yeah, so many... you know, I'd, I'd be a liar if I said I've never failed before at something and, and I, I like trying new things, as you said, and, and I've, I'm lucky I've grown up with a, a good scale community, you know, the, the Rosswood Cox and uh, Alf Williams, the, you know, the big names of, of scale modelling, and you know, I've learnt a lot over the years from them and, and you, you don't, don't always just learn by trying it yourself, you know, they'll, they'll teach you ways, but then there's ways that you can do it yourself as in, you know, you use their information and or information that anyone gives you and you either do it that way or you try and do it a way that suits you. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big ones that I've had is, is, is fiberglassing an airplane. And, and I've always said, well, this is the way I do it. Um, right, wrong, however, it's the way I do it and it works for me. <laughs> if it works for you, great. If not, try and do it, try and do it the way that suits you. Well, there's often multiple ways to get to the end end task, isn't there? Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah, well, but... uh, you're doing the right thing. That's why I think I've seen some of the photos <laughs> of some of your models, so you know I can't I can't fault them at all. Now, okay, so let's move on. And we talked a bit about flying component of scale uh, competition. Um, how often are you flying? You know, and do you have a practice regime? Um, I try and get out most weekends. Um, just obviously it slowed down a bit in the last couple of months with the, with the newborn, and um, I still try and get out every fortnight at least, just for even if it's for half a day. Um, and again, it doesn't matter whether I take a foamy down or my 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 scale Newport down. Um, it's it's just keeping the fingers going on the sticks. Um, when I again, even if I'm flying on the on a field. On a Saturday, um, I still try and do all my manoeuvres in front of me. Um, you know, I, I find it very hard sometimes to go out and purely practice um, doing manoeuvres for an event because you, you, you always, if you stuff up halfway through, you just go, oh, I'll pull out and I'll go around and start again. You know, in a, in a competition, you don't have that luxury. But when I'm flying, just flying on a normal Saturday morning, I'll still do a loop in front of me and try and, and make it on a centre line or same as a roll or half cubinates or whatever. I, I'm still doing that and I'm still trying to present the aeroplane as I would would normally in a competition. And I, I do that without thinking of it now, to be honest. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, I, but I don't have an actual regime as such to, to compete or... Um, I think if, when I was leading up to the world champs, you know, myself and I'm fortunate enough to live only down the road from Peter Goff and we fly together, um, you know, we, we, we could stand back and judge each other. Uh, and that, that was a big help. But again, that was only before the world champs. 
and that was making sure we we're getting the the flight schedule we we'd chosen to get it right. So we presented the airplane to the best of its ability, basically. Oh, I know we. I don't think you'll be out with Peter for flying for a while because both of you've got yet newborns, really, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but you know what's interesting, Peter Goff, he, he's he's launching a business, isn't he? With some, he what's is it called. I have to get him back um, on the chat. Aero, Aero Classics. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is he doing? Like three D printed parts and some kits or something. Um, like that, he's or? doing it, doing doing a range of stuff. He's um, I think he's just trying to bring scale, um, scale to Australia. You know, we see a lot of companies in in the US and, and Europe doing 3D printing and, and printing, you know, cockpit kits and, and scale parts. And I, I think he's, he's bringing that to Australia um, as well as doing, um, uh, I think he's, I think he's venturing into laser cut kits. Yeah. You know um, what that is. I reckon he's, he's sitting there going, imagine if I had a laser cutter, what I could build for myself. And you go, and he goes to his wife and goes, you know what? I'm going to start a business. I reckon it's a market there. And she goes, sounds good. Oh, if you're going to make some money out of it, go and do it. <laughs> so he's gone with yeah. a laser, laser cutter and he's just going to be pumping out models. You just wait. And and they're going to be sitting there and he's going to build them all. I can just tell now. But see now I've got a best friend that does laser cutting. So I'm, I'm setting myself. Yeah. And I don't have to have all the hassle of it. Maybe I could get that. <laughs> maybe I can get him to make one of those super cubs and cut one for, not sorry, super cub, one of the you, uh, you, super you, chipmunk. Super chipmunks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just need someone to get, build the, uh, you know, do all the cows and stuff like that. That's the thing, you know, little detail canopies yeah. and, and all that. But um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think he'll do well with it. No, I really do. I think there's a market out there. Um, if you can bring, you know, it's very hard to bring stuff into Australia. Well, yeah. no, I shouldn't say hard, but, you know, for one little bit, you know, and it costs so much to ship from overseas, if, if he can store them here and then help the community, I think I think it's a good thing. We need we need that. And I, I said this last week on the podcast that there's, um, I think that we're going to see these little, little cottage industries coming up like there used to be when the model, when aero modeling really started to, to emerge, you know, before bigger yeah. companies sort of got involved that, if you go to the average hobby shop nowadays, they've got generic stuff, you know, foamy models, yeah. they'll have a transmitter, a few servos, but they don't have the full range of stuff. So most of us are no. buying stuff online from the likes of DA or, you know, um, uh, Richo's, Richo's Radioactive, not yep. Radioactive, RC models, whatever it is. Forget the name of it. He's going to kill me. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we're going to those kind of people to, to, to get, our, our nitty-gritty gear that we need. And yep. anybody else that is bringing stuff in just gives us choice. And you know, at one stage in my career, I did sell 3D Hobby Shop aeroplanes and I imported them, you know, container loads and sold these aerobatic yep. models. And one of the things when I was sort of contemplating whether to continue or not was I hated this idea that if I stopped, I would reduce choice of model aircraft. You know, if someone wanted to go and fly an extreme flight or a pilot RC aerobatic plane or a Compaf or something like that. I didn't care. I just thought that the more choice we can give people, the better off we're all going to be. Otherwise, we're going to end up seeing the same model. Now, we're hearing that now, but the extreme flight laser is such a good aerobatic plane that any avid aerobatic flyer and 3D and freestyle pilot, whatever, and iMac, they're all buying lasers. So you go to one of those events and it's just a laser everywhere. And there's yep. nothing wrong. He, he's and for, so many people have told me, and some of the best pilots in the world have said to me, that model is phenomenal as an aerobatic plane. But yep. I like to see diversity. And, and Peter Goff bringing some more stuff in, making some stuff, just adds to that diversity, which keeps the hobby nice and vibrant because the last thing I want to see is just a field full of uh, 
Cubs. Cubs. Yellow, yellow Cubs. <laughs> well, I, I, and I think, I think um, you know, as we just said, you know, the, the, there's that many Cubs out there and there's that many P51 Mustangs out there and, and that many Focke-Wulf 190s, you know. I think people are getting tired of seeing them. Not all, not everyone. I'm not saying they're bad models or anything like that. I think people are getting tired of seeing them and they're going, you know, I'm just going to build the airplane I want to build. And and they're trying to build something that isn't seen or not not common. So I I think I think building is is, is I wouldn't say it, it's nothing like it used to be, but I don't think it's it's getting any worse at this current point. Yeah. Oh. I think there's, you know, there's a, a guy down here in Victoria that had the podcast, Tim DeHaan, and he's, yep. he, Tim still thinks he can't build. He still thinks he's oh. he, the guy has been. He's been building some it's really re- nice model. He's got a beautiful Urcoop that he built from a kit. And yeah, whatever. that's ridiculous. Yeah, and yep. he won the he won uh, the 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 Pilot's Choice Award at the last Shepherd Mammoth in 2019 that was held. Right, that yep. this guy's been acknowledged as being able to build, and he's still thinks he's not a great builder and he's you know got a long way to go. But there's a guy that's come into the hobby and really embraced building and scale modeling and that kind of stuff and he's doing a good job. And I think you know if you're that way inclined, there is this movement. It's a bit like jets. Jet there's a run on turbines at the moment. There's a really vibrant yeah. turbine community. In every state there's a vibrant turbine yep. community. And it's almost like people that have been flying other things um, you know, for years, whether they be scale aerobatics or whatever. Like um, the other day at the field, uh, David Law and and Noel Whitehead had jets, right? They like <laughs> flying jets, yep. right? Yep. That I always say all roads lead to a turbine at some point in time. You know, if a good friend of mine just bought a turbine, I said to him, you're going to hate it because he's a nervous ninny when he flies. But, you know, and I got a turbine. Well, I got a turbine because I picked it up for a bargain. That's really the bottom line. But yeah. But, um, all roads sort of lead turbines at the moment. And I think when it comes to that that scale building kind of thing, you know, it was interesting that Laser Cuts Kits Australia just changed hands, I think. And when the guy um, said that he was shutting shop, he had a massive run. I had people ringing up going, Influx. I think I'm going to go and buy one. I've got to, you know, because I've been eyeing off this kit for ages. I better go and get one before <laughs> I can't get one. So, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom. People think that, you know, clubs are going to die and that we need younger people. Uh, good luck trying to get younger people involved. You know, it, it's, uh, just, it's too hard a challenge. Get a middle-aged person. Get get a, get a Tim DeHaan in, you know. That's, yeah. it's, the kids have grown up. He's got some spare time. He's got some disposable income. And he, he, he can, you know, he may he's have passionate. had... passionate. Yeah, he's passionate about the planes and, and aviation and whatever. And now he's got an outlet being aero modelling. I'm a big believer that it's much easier to get that happening than is to go and grab a 10 year old kid and throw him in a, a flying field with an average age of like, you know, 65, 70, like, you know, yep. it's, it doesn't sort of, there are too many things working against us and also our ability to, to, to impact society enough to, you know, get attention for the hobby enough so that we get this big influx of kids. And, you know, the MAAA keep on talking about it. No, we need to get kids. Okay, do something. Action drives a result. They've done yeah. nothing except everyone's sitting there running around. Same with flying clubs, local flying club. Oh, it'd be great to see more kids. Well, what are you doing about it? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. like that idea. Like um, I had a guy on, on a podcast, you know, that's a good thing about this podcast. I get to speak to a lot of different people in here, different opinions. Yeah. And this one guy that I had um, from Scotland, and he said that, 
they identified that a lot of the newcomers weren't great at building. They didn't understand like wood grain and which way should it go and gluing things and you know what glue to use and all that kind of stuff. And so yep. they started a project in their club where they said, okay, who wants to build a model? We're all going to build it together. We're all going to meet up you know, every fortnight on a Wednesday at the field in the clubhouse and we're going to work on our models together and mentor each other and help each other. And we'll have basically an instructor there that's experienced in guiding them how to build. Now, out of that process, you basically got another four or five keen builders that now were set on their way and motivated to go and build something else. So there's a good example of action leading to a good positive reaction. Um, yep. So, and, and look, fortunate my club have got some good good scar modelers, so they are, yeah, they yeah. are inspiring. Well, I was I remember when I was a kid. Um, I don't know if you remember the um the Delta Dart program. No. Um, it was run by the MAAA, and and it was purely a, it was a Delta Dart, a little rubber powered tissue covered stick stick model, and um, they used to hold it at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, and it'd be a two day thing. You'd go in and You'd learn the basics of, uh, you know, flight and aerodynamics, and and also any you know, of the kids in the class would build this little tiny stick rubber powered airplane. And you'd build it all together, and it was all, you know, there's a teachers in the class, and again, learning about wood grain, timber, um, you know, joints, all that type of thing. And at the end of the, the class, you go outside and you get to fly, you know, and, and you would get that satisfaction to see that that something you've just created is flying. Um, and I think there's that something like that, in my opinion, something like that needs to, to get kids interested. And as you said, out of a class of 10 or 12, if you get three or four, that's brilliant. Mm. They want to keep doing it. It's interesting because I'm not joking that in China, they're actually running a program like that. But yeah, there's a good friend of mine that always hosted me when I was in China and he actually had a manufacturing business making model aircraft and he gave that up to join his wife's business where she was going to schools and teaching uh, teaching aviation basically and they had to build a scale model. Oh, sorry, not a scale model, a, a, a rubber band powered plane as part of that program. So he, he said it's a great job because he, he goes to work one hour a week kind of thing and he turns up yeah. and he uh, has to build, you know, Show these, show the students how to build these planes. Talk about how planes fly and all that kind of stuff. And then what they do is they all grab their models and they compete against other schools and other kids. You wouldn't believe the numbers. I remember we were in Guangzhou and he wow. dropped us off at the airport and he said he's going to go now to this hall where they're having the competition. There were a thousand kids at this event flying their rubber band powered models. That out of those a thousand, like people don't realize that the hobby is really growing in China. That a lot of the Chinese manufacturers, their biggest market now is the it's Chinese China. domestic market. You know, they're not as worried about exporting as much anymore because the China market is their future. And with those kind of programs running at school level, and then it goes into university level, where at university I've met, um, you know, a whole bunch of guys and girls from um, a university in Zhuhai, which is down south, where this the guy that I know lives, and they come and volunteer at, at this you know China Top Show aerobatic event. And they're all sort of students that are involved in engineering, aerospace, that kind of thing. And they actually have a flying club on campus where they fly their model <laughs> planes on some tiny little field wow. somewhere. And But the, the Chinese government really sees that, you know, UAV market as being a really, really important thing in the world. And so they're investing. And I asked these, the, I had dinner with a whole bunch of them and I said, 
when you finish university, will you have a job? He goes, straight away, we'll have a job. You know, yeah. No questions asked. I said, well, how does that happen? He said, because the government is investing so heavily in UAV technology that there's so many jobs out there for people. So we can, we're walking to jobs. And and yeah. they're aeromodelers. They they all they. I said, "Do you fly? Yeah, yeah. Do you fly? Yeah, yeah. We all fly." Um, so, you know, every action has a reaction. I say. Yeah, I know, and I, and I, I hope you know, not to that extreme. Obviously, we don't have the, the numbers per capita for that, but I'd love to see something like that similar here. It 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 it'd be something awesome. It just takes. It's just finding people that will do it. I mean, I'm a big yeah. fan of mobilising the retirees at the club. That you know <laughs> that they've got skills, knowledge, and time, and they could run school holiday programs at the field where you know the the parents pay X amount of dollars to have yep. little Johnny come, and and little Johnny then tells his mate, and before you know it, there's five of them doing it together, and by the end of the holidays, yep. they've they've flown them on a little airplane and they're well on their way, and guess what? Two out of the five might say, "Mum, I really enjoyed that. I want to go back." Uh, I want to go and back. We're lucky at my field, my club, which is a pretty big club, I must say. That we've got a good bunch of young guys. That even my my son is aware of these guys now, even though he's never been to the field. But we get on the simulator together, and my son doesn't mind being on the sim. So they've yep. built their own community and their own movement. And I said to the to all the young guys, "Do you know that if you guys stick with the hobby, you will basically have a lifelong friendship. You will share so many experiences." With each other, and I said, "You probably don't appreciate it now, but you're like 15, 16 years of age. You'll be sitting there when you're seventy, going, remember that time when we did this, and remember that time.' I said, you just, it's just going to be so good for the for the lot of you to stay connected throughout your lives and be, you know, around aero modelling. And so, it really gets me motivated. Even myself now, you know, I'm forty now, and the people I, I've known and still know and and have known just through modelling." is phenomenal um it, it it's it's friendships and you don't have to see them every week or speak to them every month you know it might be years and years between seeing them um but they're still they'll, they'll still remember who you are and you still remember them because we also relate models to people and go oh you know you flew this back and then and um it's a it's a community it's, yeah it doesn't matter what you fly you 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 still create friendships through it. Yeah, and just sharing those experiences. It's interesting that yeah. why is it that you've had a good day at the flying field that I'll either ring up a friend and give him a report on what happened. And um, like today <laughs> I was at work and a friend of mine rang me and said, oh, coming home from the field, oh, how was it? What did you fly? What debacle happened? Who crashed? Who did what? Whatever. And he, like yeah. the, the debrief that you just got to share it because you're, you're buzzing kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that's you know, it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. Well, mind you, I absolutely love doing it. Like sitting down and having a chat with you doesn't feel like it's not hard work at all. I'm just enjoying enjoying sharing, you know, talking to a like-minded individual about something that we, yeah. we're both passionate about. And, you know, I always have this vision that people are sitting in their sheds building their model planes and listening to this podcast. So a big shout out to all those who are sitting in their sheds listening because I do people do send me messages and say, yeah, I do actually listen to it whilst I'm building. You know, yeah. put, put the phone on or whatever and, and listen to the podcast and listen to us have a bit of a banter. So you know, that is part of the role of the podcast is to keep people motivated and excited and, and learning from other people's experience like we have today. So uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy exactly. it. Now, I do have a signature move, Anthony, a signature question mm-hmm. that I ask everybody and everybody can't wait for this question. Um, 
And that question is, what has been your favourite model of all time? My fave? It would have to be the airplane I've had the most fun with and, and competed with at many levels have to be a Robart Thunderbolt. Robart Thunderbolt? Yeah, P47 Thunderbolt by Robart. When, well, Robart don't make models anymore, do they? No, they, they only came out with a version 1 and version 2. Really? Um, How long ago was that? Uh, two, uh, the first one I had, probably 2010. Okay. Um, I competed uh, at Top Gun with that, at the US Masters with it. Um, I've competed all around Australia with it. Um, Did you go to Top Gun? Yeah. Oh, Danny, tell me. Yeah. 2013. Oh, dude, that's a dream to go to that event. It's just that's like best of the best there. <laughs> I've been been twice and competed out there once. Really? And I'll tell you what, yeah. this COVID thing's just got to hurry up and go away so we can get travelling again. Know. <laughs> you know, I really, I, I was know. thinking about, you know, places that I'd like to go and events that I'd love to, to see, you know. I, I'm fully vaccinated though now. I had a, I had my second jab yesterday and uh, feeling good. Didn't have any major repercussions. As I said to everybody, i got a GPS chip planted now. The government, the Chinese government knows where I am. Apparently, but um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. this COVID thing, I, I'm I'm really nervous that we won't be able to travel freely for for still a few more years, but uh, quite some time. I don't know. We we'll, we'll yeah. have to let your kids grow up a bit before you can travel again. So <laughs> maybe it could work yeah. into your favour. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, are you going to head down to the yeah. uh, Shepherd and Mammoth Scale event this year? It's on the cards. Uh, we've been talking about a group of us up here from from Newcastle oh, Way. Probably, probably, you know, six, six or seven of us were, were thinking of making the trek down there. Um, it's been quite a few years since I've been there. Yeah, we've got to um, come down. We want to make it a good one. You know, hopefully, hopefully it's on. Cross fingers. But you, you're not yeah. locked down at the moment, are you? No, not where we are. No, fortunately enough. Lucky, because uh, looks like old Sydney might be in a bit of a lockdown for a while. I reckon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, we're we're just far enough north to uh, to still be able to go to the model field. Yeah, well, that was but see, well, being me coming from Victoria, we, we're good at lockdowns, and uh, yep, I was saying to to a guy that I know up in Sydney today, I said, and he said, "How did you go in the lockdown?" I said the first one was great. I just built model airplanes and you know got all those projects. You know, I basically my aim was to get everything in my hangar flyable, and I achieved that after the first lockdown. When the second lockdown came, that was just torture because I'd done everything. Couldn't go to the flying field. It was winter. Then winter became spring. The weather was good for flying. Couldn't get to the flying field because we had like a 5K radius that we could, you know, travel from. And it was just like torture. And by the end, I was just going to, I was just going to run. You know, I was, it was <laughs> just, it was just torture. And, and as I said earlier, like getting to the flying field and just having that day at the field just mentally yeah. just eases my mind and, brings you back on the straight and level kind of thing. And so I was really, really longing to, to just get back to the field just for a day. Just one day. One day yeah. in three weeks is enough for me sometimes. <laughs> just that, I can live off that for, you know, it lasts, the buzz lasts. And and what I'm finding now is I'm spending a, a, all the day, like I'll say to the wife, I'm going to go flying. And she knows that that means that I won't be home till sort of half past four kind of thing. Till dark. You know? and, and she's pretty good. She's, you know, I don't do it every weekend, so it's not too, too bad. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Anthony, it's been a real pleasure to have you. I really enjoyed our chat. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed it and and learnt some more about scale modelling. You've, you've filled a few gaps in my mind, no doubt other people as well. So 
a big thank you for joining me and keep up the good work. You've got plenty. I didn't realize you're so young. You've got plenty of years left in you. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. I, I, I do. I still feel I still feel like I'm 20 and, and, and so much to achieve and I, I think I can. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still young compared to a lot of people in scale modeling. Um, and I have been young to a lot of those guys because they've known yes, me for the, the whole 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll try my hardest, I think, yeah. to, to get there. Well, well done. And uh, we will stay in touch, no doubt, in the years to come. And uh, hopefully you get back overseas again. Thank you very much, Andrew. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Anthony Ogle for spending the time with me. It was interesting after we did the recording, Anthony said to me that. Uh, Gee, I didn't realise it'd be so easy to talk uh, so much. He, he didn't didn't envisage it going that way, the way that these these interviews go. But and I hear that a lot from guests. They they say, oh, I was a bit nervous before we started. Didn't know what to expect. But uh, once you get talking, it just flows, and uh, it did. And so, a big thank you to Anthony for for joining us and sharing some of his experiences and knowledge. Well, as I mentioned earlier, don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast. And whilst you're in the mood of subscribing, get onto Facebook, get onto Instagram, get onto YouTube, search for Flat Out RC and press that like, subscribe button. You hit that bell on YouTube so you can be notified of any videos that are coming out. Now, videos have been a bit few and far between as far as I'm concerned. This COVID thing is really messing things up as far as being able to go out and shoot some videos at the field, just a bit, just a bit hit and miss, you know, the weather's got to be right. I love shooting videos at events, no events. So that'll that'll pick up over time. But in the meantime, I've got Instagram, I've got plenty of new photos coming up on Instagram and Facebook as well. And of course, this weekly podcast, I've been doing some research. We are Australia's number one weekly RC flying podcast. It's getting bigger and bigger, more and more of you are listening. So I hope you really enjoying the podcast i'm really enjoying bringing it to you so keep on listening and again thank you for listening and i'll be back next week with another special guest see you then